It is New Year, isn't it? It's time for New Year, time where we look over the last year and reflect on the past, the time where we look into the future and do some planning and and think about, you know, what does God have in the future? And, And as I was thinking about this, I started to think, man, those are really good activities to do as long as you have the right perspective. Because you can look at the past with a real negative, like an incorrect perspective, and you can not really glean a whole lot from it. Or you can plan for the future and just like not have much dreams, not have much vision, nothing positive, and and it can just be kind of bleak in that planning phase. But if we have the proper perspective, it can be a really good exercise for us. And today, I want us to look at perspective. That's what we're calling the message, the priority of perspective. Now, whenever, well, okay, confession. I I kind of enjoy the whole idea that there might be a Bigfoot out there. Has anyone else seen Bigfoot? Anyone? On the TV shows, more hands raised when they ask that question. But, no, it's kind of fun to watch these shows a little bit. And I kind of like the idea that maybe God created a creature that could hide and keep away from humans and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, so I've been watching it. But it all comes down to perspective when you see these Bigfoot sightings. Depends on the, the point of view that you're looking at. Someone might see it and then be saying, man, that's definitely Bigfoot. I see a big, hairy humanoid that walks kind of different than a human, and, and it's got to be Bigfoot. Or maybe someone from a different perspective says, I just saw this big, shadowy thing kind of going through the tree, so I'm not really sure. But it all comes down to perspective. Now, I've had a Bigfoot encounter before, and I wanted to show you a picture of it that I was there, and uh, that's the closest I've ever come to a Bigfoot, right there. Okay, that's Dave, and that was, Bigfoot went paintballing with us, but anyway, it all comes down to perspective, though. So my goal today, and what God's been laying on my heart, is to share with you a, a biblical perspective on the Word of God, uh, God's perspective on the Word of God, because that can be a whole lot different than just our perspective. So let me give you another example of this perspective thing. Say say that you walk in here on Sunday morning. This morning, you just walk in, and whoever is leading worship says, "Uh, why don't you stand and sing with us? You might be tempted just to stand and sing and say the words, but if that worship leader says, stand and let's, let's worship the creator God, the almighty, all-powerful, uh, you know, everlasting, you know, your father. Why don't you come and worship him? Does that change your perspective, your point of view of worship that morning? I think it does. Knowledge of God and knowledge about God always changes our perspective. We see things differently. And I'm hoping today that 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 can happen for us. So I want us to take off our human glasses of perspective and throw them down and stomp on them. And I want us to put on a pair of God glasses so we can maybe catch a little bit of God's perspective on on the Word of God today. And, And you know what? You might be surprised what you see. It might be a pleasant surprise or it might be kind of tough 
Because whenever we get faced with God's perspective and God's truth, sometimes it's a little bit difficult. But I hope today uh, that we come away from this with a different perspective than what we came with. But before we dive in, I want to pray for us one more time. God, thank you for letting us uh, just join together today freely without worry of, uh, of anything so we can come here freely and do this. And we can dig into your word, the word that you've provided for us. We can take a look at it and you can talk to us. You can show us what you want in our lives. And I pray that you would just do an incredible thing today in this room, in all of our hearts. Open our eyes, give us a new perspective, give us a new love for you and for your word today. So please uh, just use, uh, use this time to bring yourself glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I got a question for you. Where can we find God's perspective on the Bible? Can we go down to the bookstore? Can we, you know, maybe ask uh, some scholar this and that? No. Where we find God's perspective on the Bible is in the Bible. Because the Bible is a self-defining, it's a supernatural book. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.13, it says that we need to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. We need to compare scriptures with scriptures. We need to dive into this book and and look at the things that he wrote. And he'll help us find his perspective. You know, you don't have to have a degree in Hebrew and Greek in order to get God's perspective on the Bible. Because God's given us a Bible that we can trust. And he tells us in 2 Timothy 2.15 that we have to study it. We have to study the word. It's not something that we can just randomly here and there read a verse and we're going to see God's perspective. But it says that we need to study. And if we do that, we can rightly divide the word and and God's going to open it up to us so we can see his perspective on things. And if we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, if we have a relationship with Jesus and that Holy Spirit dwells in us, he's going to start opening things up and he's going to start teaching us. And we'll see God's perspective on his word. But there's a little bit more to it. And I want to kind of build a case for you today. Uh, Before we actually get into our passage in 2 Chronicles 34, I want to kind of lay some foundation so that we all are uh, on the same page when it comes to uh, the Bible's perspective on the Bible. But to start with that, we need to look at his name. We need to look at the name of Jesus. And the Bible tells us in in Philippians chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles or or some kind of other device that has the Bible on it, uh, you can turn there, but we're also going to have most of these verses up on the screen. Uh, But we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. Let's start in verse 5 and read that. It says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, all that stuff we just talked about, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. You see, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, God the Father gave him a name above all names. In verse 10 it says then, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth. So whether you're an angel in heaven, whether you're a human here on earth, or whether you're in hell in the center of the earth, you're going to bow down at the name of Jesus. Because it's so great in who it represents. And look at verse 11, it says, In that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So anything that has a language, when you see that word tongue, that's referring to a language. Anything that has a language will confess that he is Lord. Do you think Jesus is Lord today? Can you say that today? Jesus is Lord? Do you mean it? Do you mean it? And I was thinking about this. A lot of times I say a lot of things, and then I stop and say, do I really mean it? Do I really understand what I'm saying? And I said, if I say Jesus is Lord, how do I know that I mean it? You know how? You got to look and see who tells you what to do, or what tells you what to do. Is it money? Is it friends? Is it family? Is it pleasures in this world? Or is it the Lord? Is it Jesus that tells you what to do? Because if he's your Lord, you're his servant. So if we say Jesus is Lord, he calls the shots. He's the boss. And when we do that, did you notice the end of the verse? It says that it brings glory to God the Father. It brings glory to when we make Jesus our Lord. So this name of Jesus, this name Jesus is special because it's attached to our Savior, the one that sacrificed for us, and it's special. But did you know that there's something above the name of Jesus? It says in Psalm 138 and verse 2, it says that Jesus, or God has magnified his word above his name. It says there, there's something above the name of Jesus. He's magnified his word above his name. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he magnify his word above his name? Because without the word, we don't know about Jesus. Without the word, we can't get to know him, and we can't get to know about him. So this word of God is magnified above his name. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I'm not the greatest at remembering names. Is anybody in here bad at remembering names? Hey, half the room. I'm not alone then. Good. And, but you know, because I'm not bad, or I'm bad at people's names... I don't expect anyone else to remember my name. 
So you can be, be free in that, okay? But what I do want people to remember, I want people to remember my words. And I want people to remember my actions. Because those are the things that really have an effect in people's lives. Now, now Betsy and I, you may think this is weird, but, but we like to walk through cemeteries. And we like to look at the tombstones, and we like to, you know, try to figure out stuff about people's lives. And, and when we were younger, dating, and early married, we did a lot of this. Um, and when you go into those cemeteries, there's such an emphasis on a person's name, right? There's an emphasis on a person's name. But wouldn't it be cool if you could go to a tombstone and you could hear them? And you could hear them telling their story. Or you could hear them sharing some things. Or, or maybe at least read a, a bit of their story. So you get to know them a bit more. So I had this incredible idea that, that maybe I can make something to where someone can put a video on their tombstone and, and all this. And then I got excited that, that maybe I had a great idea. Like I have lots of great ideas that are already taken. Um, and after I did some research, this one is taken also. About a year ago, they came out with this kind of video that you can put on your tombstone, and it can scroll through, and it can tell about the person's life, and, and you can even have audio on there. And I'm like, how cool is that? You go then, and you get to learn about this person. So this gives you, it, it opens up lots of opportunities for you to get to know that person, just like the Bible gives us opportunities to learn about God, to learn about Jesus. But it's not just the name, it's the words. So we've got the name of Jesus and the word of God and we get to know Jesus through the word. Because it tells us in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The Bible says that the word is God. But not only is it God, it says in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he saw his glory, glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we've got the name of Jesus. We've got the word of God. And this word of God is Jesus. Do you see why it's so important? Do you see why there needs to be a priority on the word, it needs to be a have the proper perspective. Let's pull this together. So there's there's nothing greater, according to what we looked at here. There's nothing greater in our lives than the word of God, because the word of God is actually Jesus, who is God in human flesh. So you can't separate Jesus in the word. If you love the word. You love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you love the Word. They're one. So hopefully that gives us a little foundation. Okay? Do you see the importance of the Word? See the importance in God's perspective on God's Word? But I wanted to lay that, that foundation a little bit before we dived into the Word today. Because we're going to be in Second Chronicles 34. 2 Chronicles 34, and we're going to see a story where a book, God's Word, changed a man's life, a boy's life, actually. 
And it caused a whole country to change, to bring God glory. But before we hop in there, Second Chronicles 34, because maybe you've never been there before and read that. But what's going on in the nation of Israel right now is the nation of Israel is split. Many years before that, during King Rehoboam's uh, reign, the nation of Israel split into a, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And this northern kingdom is called Israel. And this southern kingdom is called Judah. And the guy we're going to talk about today, whose name is Josiah, Josiah was a king in the southern tribes, Judah. And uh, Josiah, his father and his grandfather, Manasseh and, and Ammon, they were evil. They were evil kings. It says that they didn't follow the Lord. And they were evil. And during their reigns, they did everything they could to get rid of Jehovah, to get rid of God out of that kingdom. And they brought in false gods. And they set up these, these groves, they called them, and these treed areas with these different images and, and all these false statues. And they burned incense to them. And they made sacrifices and all these different things that took the nation of Israel away from God, away from the one true God, the God that delivered them from Egypt, the God that provided for them, protected them, and loved them. And these evil kings. But then, a boy came along. Ammon's son, Josiah. And we're quickly going to see that Josiah is quite different than his father and his grandfather. Let's dive in here. We have a chunk of, uh, of scripture to read. So, so hang with me. And let's start in 2 Chronicles 34. And let's look at 1 through 7 to start off. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. So he's just a little boy. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. That's King David, not his real father, but he walked in the same steps that King David did and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, so he's 16, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the, the God of his father, David. And in the twelfth year, when he was 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images. And they tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars that were high above them he chopped down. Also the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images, he broke in pieces, ground to powder, and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then he burned the bones of the priests on their altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, even as far as Naphtali, in their surrounding ruins. He also tore down the altars, and he says this for a third time, <laughs> And beat the ashram and the carved images into powder and chopped down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. So we've got a boy that had terrible role models. His father and grandfather, they were evil, wicked. He had terrible role models. 
So you would have thought that he would have grown up and followed their steps, followed their footsteps. But isn't it cool how God can take anyone with any situation, with any kind of background, and change their lives and use them for his glory? Can anyone else give testimony in here of how God did that to you? I know me. I didn't grow up in a house that was following Jesus, but God got a hold of me. Dale Thomas isn't here today, but I've heard his story of where he was grown up and lived, and and God pulled him out of that, and now he loves the Lord. And I'm sure you can all share different testimonies of that. But God can take any background that a person has and use it for his glory. But he caught a hold of Josiah when he was 16 years old. It says he began to follow the God of his father David. And it's a good thing he did, because for the last 77 years, the nation had been following false gods. And Josiah made a difference. Didn't he? Did you read? You hear when I was reading all those things? He went in and he took all those false idols and those false images and all that and destroyed them and got rid of the priests that were offering to them. He did some incredible things. He did a lot of cleanup at that point. But let's continue on reading and see what else happens here. Second Chronicles 34, let's look at uh, 8 through 10 and then 14 through 19. It says, now in the 18th year of his reign, so he's now 26 years old, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, an official of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. See, it was, it was tore down a bit. It was run down. It wasn't being used to worship God, but it was being used to worship these false idols. And they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the doorkeepers, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim, and from all the remnant of Israel, and from all Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Then they gave it into the hands of the workmen who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord used it to restore and repair the house. So they're cleaning things up. And check this out. When they were bringing out the money which they had brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. It was tucked away in the house of the Lord somewhere. For the last 77 years or however long it was there, it was, it was hidden. But Hilkiah, the priest, found it. And Hilkiah, in verse 15, Hilkiah responded and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Then Shaphan brought the book to the king, King Josiah, and reported further word to the king saying, everything that was entrusted to your servants, they are doing. They have also emptied out the money which they have found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hands of the supervisors and the workmen. So he gave his report. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest gave me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. He opens it up and he begins to read it to the king. And look how King Josiah replied. 
When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. Do you think there was something in that book that bothered him? When he heard the words of that book, he tore his clothes. It affected him so strongly, the things that were said in there, that he couldn't control himself. And we're going to find out why. But first I want us to look at what happens when we find the book. When we find the book, like we saw in verse 14 and 15. So like I said, the house of the Lord was run down. It hadn't been repaired. It had been used for false idols, all these things. So, so they're cleaning it up, getting out all the corruption, getting out all the, the stuff that doesn't glorify God. And they found out that when you seek the Lord, God will give you the book. When you seek God, he'll give you a book. Because the nation of Israel had lost their book. They had lost the word of God. Josiah's grandfather and father, they, they didn't just like lose it in the house of the Lord and like, oh, where did it go? I guess we're going to forget about it. No, they eradicated the word of God. It was their goal to get rid of it and get rid of anything that had to do with the Lord, God. And they did that, and they brought in these false gods. But when they found the book, and by the way, this book that they found, most believe that it was the book of Deuteronomy. Because there's things that Josiah did that the book of Deuteronomy tells him to do. Well, they say possibly it's the book of Deuteronomy. But this book here, Josiah found out what he was missing when he got the book. Because remember, he had taken steps to destroy these false gods, right? So he knew, if I'm going to follow the true God, i got to get rid of all these false gods. So he did that. But when the book was read to him, it filled in all the rest of the pieces of what he was supposed to be doing. And it filled them all in. And he went from being zealous for the Lord to being obsessed with God, being totally obsessed with him. Have you ever lost the word? Have you ever lost the word? And I don't mean, oh, I left my Bible out in the car. I can't find it in the house. No. I mean, have you ever lost the word where you've lost love for God's word? Because losing the word today is not due to a shortage of Bibles. How many have more than one Bible in your house? Probably everyone. It's not due to a shortage of Bibles, but it's due to a shortage of love for and faith in the Bible, the Word of God. And when we lose the Bible, we're not just losing an instruction manual. Because what did we learn about the Word? The Word is Jesus. When we lose the Bible, we lose Jesus in our lives. Where he's not working in our lives. I don't mean he goes away, but he's not working. We've lost him. But don't worry if you've lost him, because you can get him back. 
And I really hope today that as we, as we look through this and we, we see a, a different perspective on God's word, that, that maybe if you've lost the word, that you'll get it back. That your perspective will change. That your heart will soften. That your love will grow for Jesus and his word. But if you really, if, if you don't have a physical Bible today, please let us know and we will get you one. Because we want everybody to have their own copy of the Word of God. So we've got to find the book. We've got to find it so it's, it's real. I mean, we've got to start somewhere, and that's, that's finding the book. And after you find it, we need to read the book. Read the book. Remember, they found the book in the house of the Lord, and the Shaphan took it to the king, and he read it to him. He read it to him. There was something different about Josiah, though. If Shaphan would have went to Messiah or uh, Manasseh, his grandfather, or Amen or Amen, his, uh, his father, and read the word, they would have probably ripped it up, burned it, and got rid of it. But there was something different about Josiah. When they read the word of God to him, he believed it. He believed it. His perspective was different on the word of God. And he didn't just believe it. He read it also. The Bible says there that, that he read it and he spread it. You like that? We can keep that and go with it. Read it and he spread it. It says in 2 Chronicles 34, 29 through 30, it says, Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, and all the people, from the greatest to the least. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. He read it and he spread it, because he believed it, and he loved it. When Josiah found the word, he didn't hide it. He didn't hide it. He read it to everyone. How are we doing with that? When we read it, do we share it? I need to share it more. I need to share it more. I don't spread it enough. I read it, and then it stays in here. I need to spread it more with my mouth. But today... There are many that believe that you can't just read it and understand it fully. There are many today that believe that the words of God that you hold in your hand, you can't totally understand them, unless if you have an understanding of Hebrew and Greek. I don't believe that. I believe my God is big enough to give me a Bible that I can trust. Do you believe that? Or do you think you've got to study a bunch of ancient languages just to grasp what God is trying to tell you? No. God is big. God is incredible. God can give us a book that we can trust. There's nothing wrong with education. There's nothing wrong with looking at Hebrew and Greek and, and all that. And I've, I do that and I've done that. But whenever we say that you can't get what God needs to get you unless if you know those languages... 
We're taking the Bible out of the common man's hands. And when you read Revelation chapter 2, we find out that God hates that. Whenever you take the Bible out of the common man's hands, God hates it. He says he hates it. He despises it. So get out your Bible and read it because God's given you a Bible to read in your language. And you can trust it. And you can follow it. Now making disciples is, is a big goal of ours at this church. But making a disciple is not taking the Bible out of someone's hand and making you their source of truth. No, when you make a disciple, you empower them to get in God's word so that the Holy Spirit can teach them. And the Holy Spirit can guide them and help them grow as you're there walking beside them. Don't take it away from them. And Josiah didn't ask the question, can I trust this book? No. They read the book to him, and he believed every word of it because he ripped his clothes. It affected him so much. The things he heard and the things that he saw that the nation of Israel weren't doing that God commanded them to do in that book caused him to rip his clothes. He knew their gooses were cooked. Because it says in that book that when they don't follow him, that he's going to spank them. He's going to send things to their nation, not pleasant things, that they needed to follow God. They need to follow him. We need to trust it. And that's another part of our perspective. When we have a proper perspective on the word of God, we have to trust it. We have to trust what it says, even if it doesn't say what we want it to say. Even if we don't like what it says, we got to trust it. And just a side note, uh, as a youth group, we're trying to get better at reading God's word, being more consistent. And what we've been doing this last month, we, we had a little Bible reading plan from YouVersion about, about Christmas. And the bulk of the youth group every day went in there, read the devotional, read the scriptures, got into God's word. And we're going to try to carry that on into the new year and, and reading through possibly the New Testament this year and just create some consistency in reading the word of God. Because I can guarantee it's going to change lives. Amen. Amen. If we read this book, it'll change lives. And that's what happened to Josiah. He read the book. He trusted in what it said, and he shared it with the people, and it changed lives. But we can read it all day long, right? We can read it all day long. We can memorize it. We can do all kinds of things, but until we obey the book, that's our last point, obey the book, it won't matter. Now, Josiah... He obeyed the book. He obeyed the book. Now, obeying commandments is not a real popular thing to do these days. When you say we need to obey the commandments of God, people don't get too excited about that, do they? It's not very, very, you know, we want a we wanna forgiving God that's patient and merciful and loving, but we forget that God is also our Lord. He's also the boss man. He's also in charge. He's the creator. 
And, and we forget that sometimes. And we just want, just want this loving, forgiving, patient God. And praise the Lord that he's loving, forgiving, and patient. Because we don't obey the commandments all the time. We don't obey him all the time. But he wants us to. We're his children. Shouldn't children obey their parents? Okay, I got a couple amens there. That's good. Yes, children should obey their parents. We should obey our father. And Josiah obeyed the commandments of this book. He didn't forget that he was the boss. And what he did, he allowed his faith in the book to translate into action that was in line with what the book was telling him. Do you get that? He allowed his faith in the book, that trust, that belief in the book, to translate into action that aligned with what the book was telling him. Because look at 2 Chronicles 34, 31. It says, The king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. He took action and made a covenant with God that he was going to follow these things. And by doing that, there are some things he needed to do. He had already been cleaning house, right? He had already been wiping out the false gods. But just as Josiah was cleaning the house in the temple, just have to apply this to us a little bit. When we obey the commandments of God and walk in his ways, we begin to be changed from the inside out. Just like that temple was changed from the inside out, our temple the Bible says that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And whenever we began to obey the commandments of the Lord, this temple begins to get cleaned out. This process of cleaning is called sanctification. If you've not heard that word before, sanctification means set apart from sin. So whenever our lives, we start obeying God's commands from this book and, and obeying the, the call to be holy, our temple starts to get cleansed. We start cleaning things up from the inside out. I don't just mean you got to wear certain clothes, you got to comb your hair a certain way, uh, you know, you got to smell a certain way. No, I'm saying from the inside out, starting with your heart, cleaning that up. Because the Bible tells us in Leviticus 20, verse 7, Romans 12, 1, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, and also uh, 2 Peter 3, 11, that we're to be holy as he is holy. There's a call to purity in the Bible, a call to holiness. And with our temple, it needs to, it needs to be cleansed. It's a place of purity, a place of worship, praise. It's a place where the word dwells. And it's the home of the Holy Spirit. We need to, we need to cleanse our temple. We need to maybe, uh, maybe purge something from our temple. You know, is there something that, that maybe you need to purge?
today? And when I ask that question myself, first thing that comes to my head, ah, maybe that's what I should start with. <laughs> so what came to your brain when I said, what needs to be purged from your temple? Start there. Start there. Because when the temple gets purged, the word of God can really start working. The word of God can really start working like it did in Josiah. But when he read that book and, and he started purging all these things from the country and from their daily lives, um, that wasn't all that happened. Like he read some things that need to be, needed to be added back into their life. He needed to be reinstated in the life of the nation of Israel. And the thing that, that really stuck out and that we, that we see in actually 2 Chronicles 35 is that he reinstated the Passover feast. See, in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 16, it tells them every year that they need to celebrate the Passover feast. And if you're not familiar what the Passover feast is, when the nation of Israel was in bondage, enslaved for over 400 years in Egypt, there was a deliverance, okay? And they were delivered by the blood of the lamb. Because what they did, they, they sacrificed a lamb and they put blood on their door frame. And when they did that, the angel of death passed over their house. And, and Pharaoh and so many Egyptians didn't do that. And their firstborn was killed. But after that, Pharaoh said, get out of here. Get out of my country. And the nation of Israel was delivered from their bondage. And God said, every year, I want you to come back, and I want you to have a feast, and I want you to remember what I did, how I delivered you from Egypt. Now, it's super cool that God delivered us from our Egypt. We were in the bondage of sin, under the taskmasters of sin when we were born. And for me, it was 18 years I lived in that bondage of sin. But the blood of the lamb, the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, was shed so that when that death angel comes over us, it passes over because we have eternal life because of Jesus. When we trust in that blood, when we trust that that sacrifice that Jesus did for us is enough for our salvation, it's enough. So they, Josiah reinstated this feast. And you know what it said? Josiah must know how to throw a party because it said that this feast, there wasn't another one like it since the time of Samuel. And you know how many years ago that was? Almost 500 years before that. There wasn't a Passover feast that was celebrated like this for over 500 years. And it all came from the book. They found the book. They read the book. And when they obeyed the book, they were doing the things that God wanted them to do then. And it totally changed the country. It totally revolutionized that whole nation. And today, we get to have our own act of remembrance. 
when we do communion. So if you've trusted the blood of the lamb today, we have the, the bread and the juice over here that represents our lamb, the blood he shed and the body that was broken on that cross. And we get to remember our deliverance with that. It's not just something we do. It's important for us to daily remember what Jesus did for us. And we get a chance to do that today after the service. But Josiah, man, he wanted to obey everything the book said. And I hope we have that perspective going into 2019. Let's look at the book differently. Let's find it. Let's read it. And let's obey it. And let's pray. God, thank you so much. Uh, just the opportunity to, to be here today and uh, just to be able to dig into your word. And God, I don't know people's hearts. I don't know where everyone's at. But I just pray that you used what you gave to me today to change lives. Not for my sake, but for yours and for your glory. Because you are worthy above all things. Your name is a name above all names and we bow down today to that name. And yet your word is magnified above it. Thank you for giving us your word. We're so blessed that our creator gave us his word. And we thank you for that. I pray today that, that if there's someone in here this morning that, that hasn't trusted you for their salvation, that they haven't put their soul faith did for them on the cross you shed your blood you died but you rose again the third day to overcome death and only God can do that you are God and we trust you for your salvation that you provide us so if there's someone in here that, that doesn't have that yet I pray today would be the day that they would find salvation you so much with all of our hearts with all of our mind all of our strength in Jesus name we pray